This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 22, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. Prosecutors typically have immunity when they fail to do one of their constitutional duties, that is, turning over exculpatory evidence to the defense. And failing to turn that evidence over can mean the difference between winning and losing big cases. David Ritgers, legal policy analyst at the Cato Institute, talks about the Supreme Court case of Connick v. Thompson and his related article in the latest edition of the Cato Supreme Court Review. In 1985, uh, John Thompson was tried and convicted uh, by the uh, New Orleans District Attorney's Office for both uh, armed robbery and murder. Uh, these were actually wrongful convictions. Uh, it, it, the uh, armed robbery case, uh, had, there was a piece of evidence associated with the armed robbery case. It was a, uh, a swatch of clothing stained with the robber's blood. The prosecution had this piece of evidence, uh, and uh, the blood test results, the blood typing results, came back. Uh, and the prosecutor had the evidence, and on the day of trial, checked all of the evidence out of the police evidence room and then checked all of the evidence with the exception of this bloodstained swatch of clothing into the courthouse evidence room. Uh, And uh, without this piece of clothing, which had it been tested and had it been provided to the jury, would have shown that he had a different blood type than the perpetrator of the crime, well, he would have been exonerated had that been produced to the jury. It was not produced to the jury. He was convicted. And then because of that armed robbery conviction, he did not testify in his own defense at the subsequent murder trial. Uh, Meaning he was convicted of that as well. Uh, So he spent 18 years in prison, 14 of them on death row, uh, literally an 11th hour uh, save. A private investigator working on his case discovered the bloodstained swatch of clothing Uh, The blood test was conducted, and uh, ultimately the uh, Supreme Court of Louisiana threw out his conviction. Uh, He was retried for the murder, uh, was acquitted by a jury in short order, and he promptly filed suit against the Orleans Parish uh, uh, District Attorney's Office. Uh, He succeeded and was awarded $14 million uh, by a civil jury, the equivalent of $1 million for each year that he uh, wrongfully spent on death row. And uh, this March, the Supreme Court overturned that uh, award of $14 million uh, uh, on the grounds that, uh, that municipal liability in this instance did not flow from a custom or policy that the uh, Orleans Parish District Attorney's Office had in effect at the time. Now, prosecutors are supposed to hand over evidence that could exonerate a, somebody on the, in the defense uh, long-standing practice that occurs in discovery, I suppose. Uh, why didn't it happen in this case? Well, it's actually, it's a constitutional duty uh, mandated by the Supreme Court's decision in Brady versus Maryland. Uh, and and uh, Connick v. Thompson has to be viewed really as the collision of two lines of precedent, one with regard to prosecutorial immunity and one uh, with regard to municipal liability and the immunity exceptions uh, that have been created by Supreme Court precedent. Uh, with regard to prosecutorial immunity, uh, it, the Supreme Court said in Imler versus Pachtman in 1975 that, uh, that prosecutors are absolutely immune, which is 
obviously above and beyond the qualified immunity that police officers uh, enjoy, but absolutely immune at civil suit for their core prosecutorial functions. Uh, And there was a sharp dissent uh, by Justice Byron White, uh, certainly no bleeding heart liberal, uh, saying that in the context of Brady violations, that this would discourage essential disclosure uh, and could lead to uh, to wrongful convictions, and uh, the uh, you know the years since have proven that correct. Uh, and Brady violations actually rank as among the top forms of prosecutorial misconduct in, in any number of studies that you would look into this that is at the top of the list. Uh, on the other side of the equation, in terms of municipal liability and immunity, uh, the Supreme Court said in the Manel case uh, that there has to be a policy or custom uh, in effect, that, con- that created the constitutional violation uh, that the citizen uh, is, filing, is, is basing their suit on. Uh, so, so essentially, all of the quote-unquote isolated incidents uh, do not lead to municipal uh, liability. And uh, in, a, in a subsequent case, uh, following very closely on Manel in the city of Oklahoma versus Tuttle decision, Justice Stevens, much to his credit, dissented, saying that this was uh, judicial lawmaking of the most blatant kind, uh, that the statute creating civil rights lawsuits, uh, Section 1983, as we call it now, uh, was passed in 1871 as the Civil Rights Act of 1871, intended to be the teeth of the 14th Amendment to ensure that municipal and state officials did not violate the constitutional rights uh, of their citizens. Uh, And uh, to constrain liability through the custom or policy uh, holding means that there will be uh, repeated and and certainly not isolated uh, violations of constitutional rights over time that will be uh, that you know the government will not be held accountable for and you could establish that these abuses occur over and over and over again without having it be a part of a custom uh, yes, and they certainly have uh, in the majority opinion, Justice Thomas tried to uh, parse the difference uh, in in the uh, the other wrongful convictions stemming out of the um, uh, the Orleans Parish District Attorney's Office, saying that well, they didn't come from blood typing. Uh, you know, discrepancies. So there's no reason for the office to be on notice uh, that this that this blood typing test would be important. Well, that's that's actually that's nonsense as a constitutional matter, uh, because the means of delivering constitutional injury uh, does not uh, create a difference in how we would conduct the analysis of whether someone's rights were violated or not. And the other cases that uh, that that uh, were a prelude to the violations in John Thompson's trial uh, hinged on uh, th- and these were cases that were overturned. They hinged on false uh, identification by eyewitnesses, uh, something that we now know to be pretty unreliable as a scientific matter. Well, uh, so the the actually you know much more accurate blood test would be something that you should be uh, more inclined to to disclose because of its very probative nature and to say that the the f- means of delivering a constitutional violation that they that the difference in uh, the means in delivering it should fundamentally change the analysis is like saying well the uh, the municipality had four officers shoot to death. 
you know, uh, illegally and unconstitutionally uh, fleeing petty thieves, but because this officer had the good sense to run down this particular person with his police cruiser, uh, then the municipality should be relieved of liability. Uh, that's, that's really nonsense. Prosecutors want to win cases. Defense attorneys want to win cases. Uh, prosecutors have this constitutional uh, responsibility to hand exculpatory evidence to uh, the defense team, but it doesn't happen in many cases. And it seems obvious that if you're protected from any liability for not doing so, that that you're not at least going to focus as much as you should on that part of the process. That's absolutely correct. We ask prosecutors to fulfill two roles. We ask them uh, to both be a party to an adversarial process where there is every incentive to win. And at the same time, we ask them to be detached uh, members of a quasi-judicial uh, you know, set of officials who have the discretion to prosecute or to not prosecute. And even though the pressures for them to win and to, uh, to get a conviction will be at their apex in serious crimes, particularly capital cases like murder, uh, you know, why would we be surprised that the lack of an incentive of a civil uh, immunity or correction, civil liability uh, incentive to be truthful in making this disclosure uh, doesn't have the effect of producing a lot of wrongful convictions? So let's take a look at the incentive structure. Uh, because of another case at the Supreme Court involving some of the same prosecutors coming from the same office, uh, Kyles v. Whitley, the, the uh, investigation process is also subject to the burden under Brady v. Maryland to disclose evidence, exculpatory evidence, to the defense. So police officers can be held liable in civil suit uh, for failing to disclose Brady evidence to the prosecutor and, and subsequently to the defense. The prosecutor has the constitutional duty to seek out exculpatory evidence in police files uh, and hand this evidence over to the defense. They are the prime mover of the system, and yet they are absolutely immune uh, for failing to perform this constitutional duty. So, uh, you know, why should it be any, any wonder that these constitutional violations happen? Now, let's just substitute, hypothetically, a police investigator who works for the district attorney's office, not an uncommon arrangement, who did what the prosecutor uh, did in this case. So the, this police officer checks all of the evidence out from the police locker, all of the evidence but the one really important piece for the defendant into the courthouse, conceals it from the prosecution and the defense. He is, uh, if this is discovered, he can be held liable in a civil suit. But because the prosecutor did it in this case and then further consummated this constitutional sin by presenting the state's case to the judge and jury while dis while failing to disclose this constitutionally required evidence, he is absolutely immune from civil suit. Going back in time, what was the intended relationship that prosecutors, cities were to have with citizens when it comes to their liability for violating the rights of people. The law creating what we now call Section 1983 suits or civil suits for violations of constitutional rights by public officials uh, stems from the Civil Rights Act of 1871, which was one of the laws directly intended to carry out 
uh, the 14th Amendment and create liability on the behalf of, of state and local officials for violating the rights of their constituents. Uh, and uh, at the time, there only existed uh, three types of immunity. There was judicial immunity, which applies also to legislators and, uh, and uh, officials that have a great discretion in policymaking uh, at the top of the, uh, you know, the governmental pyramid. In the middle, there was what we call quasi-judicial uh, immunity, uh, which corresponds to uh, what we would now call qualified immunity. They have some discretion, uh, but they can't you know, violate constitutional rights out of hand. Uh, and at the bottom of the, 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 the pipe, we would put uh, witness immunity or defamation immunity, which was simply the, uh, the immunity from suit for statements made at, in court so that we could encourage disclosure. Uh, since that time, we have skewed uh, the immunities. We have misread the common law as it was in 1871 when municipalities were routinely held liable for violating the rights of their constituents. Uh, and prosecutors are now said to have quasi-judicial immunity, which at the time, again, was the parallel to qualified immunity, and that, and that this quasi-judicial immunity is now absolute immunity for core prosecutorial functions, so uh, it's not uh, it's not a it's not an originalist uh, tact to say that prosecutors should be absolutely immune. Justice Scalia has said separately in a dissent that uh, that uh, he had no he has no doubt that uh, that had the prosecutor's office existed then as it does in its current form that they would only have qualified immunity. Uh, and uh, you know the bottom line is that uh, is that. The, uh, uh, the charge of judicial lawmaking of the most blatant kind is not something that I would lay just on the municipal liability side of the House. Uh, prosecutorial immunity uh, should consist solely of the civil, uh, of the common law uh, immunities that existed at the time, the, um, the immunity from malicious prosecution so that every not guilty verdict didn't turn into a civil suit, uh, and defamation immunity, which just protected statements made in court to encourage disclosure, uh, but absolute immunity for core prosecutorial functions, including the suppression of exculpatory evidence, has certainly damaged uh, the criminal justice system and created systemic incentives uh, facilitating wrongful convictions. David Ritgers is a legal policy analyst at the Cato Institute. You can read his article on Connick v. Thompson in the latest Cato Supreme Court Review, available at cato.org.